Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Hey, this is the Non-Fungible Podcast, NFP with D. Klein. Now proudly sponsored by the Koi Network, where you can mint atomic NFTs on-chain and get paid when your creations attract real traffic. Now you can find this podcast and you can dive deeper into blockchain trends on Cointelegraph magazine. Just go to www.cointelegraph.com magazine. My guest today is the co-founder of Wax and Tether, William Quigley. William Quigley, welcome to NFP. I'm so glad you could make time for this today. Thank you. Yeah, welcome to the show. It's uh, really interesting to talk to you again. Uh, it's interesting because as a Cointelegraph writer, I interviewed you well over a year ago about your life entering into the blockchain. And you do so many interviews that, you know, it kind of got lost in the memory of interview after interview. I'm guessing that's a regular part of your daily uh, routine, doing interviews? It's, uh, yeah, regular is probably the way to put it. I do... Uh... I do a lot of uh, interviews, a lot of podcasts, uh, you know, talking to reporters, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, you know, I don't blame you. Um, but it was interesting because at that time I was writing about what got you into blockchain. We talked about your childhood and we move forward from that into the present moment. And of course, you being the founder of Tether, co-founder of Tether. And of wax, I mean, you're one of the most authoritative voices in the entire industry. So what I really wanted to talk with you about today was just the whole regulatory scene you see happening around blockchain, NFTs, um, cryptocurrency in general. So can we start with, uh, I'm curious, what do you think about the whole China ban thing? Was that just FUD? Well, China has been incrementally um restricting crypto yep. since uh, really beginning in 2017 when they banned um, China-based exchanges. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that was September 2017. And then they, uh, like a year or so later, they banned um, payment companies from being able to um, allow people to buy crypto. And now... Uh, they have banned uh, mining for mainly Bitcoin in China. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal because uh, China had more miners than, than any other country. Right. But was it, it was it like 60% small... of the mining is done in China or was anyway? Yeah, like yeah. But but it didn't matter because, mm -hmm. you know, snap your fingers and uh, the miners just worked from other places. It's uh, a... Yeah. It's a distributed and decentralized network. So it was a net shift of value and wealth to, for instance, people in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, Texas is now probably uh, maybe the top destination for miners, including Chinese miners mm -hmm. who um, shut down their facilities in China and went to Texas. Texas has uh, uh, really um, affordable and plentiful energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that I, I expect Texas to become the dominant location for uh, for mining because you also get in the U.S. something you didn't have really in China you don't have in Kazakhstan 
which is um, uh, a more reliable legal framework, uh, rule of law, property rights, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have a regulatory uh, question about about just the U.S. and its relationship with crypto, but I would say it's no more um, uh, uncertain than any other country. Mm-hmm. So net net, uh, China was irrelevant, didn't <laughs> matter, and uh, uh, I suspect there's still plenty of Chinese uh, holding crypto that that has not yet been made unlawful though there's probably a chance that will become so um particularly once china releases its um its central bank digital rmb right what do you think of the idea of you know kind of doing the roosevelt thing and just them saying okay we're going to give you this much digital yuan for your bitcoin and there's nothing you can do about it we're confiscating it um i suppose if if i suppose china would love that you know, um, the Chinese government would love that. I think they would be concerned about compliance with that. Mm-hmm. Probably very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I doubt they will do that. Um, they'll just, you know, within the borders of China, make it hard to mine and make it difficult to acquire. Because if you can't mine it, then you would buy it. But if you can't use the uh, fiat, payment networks to buy it then it it's you can still acquire it but it's harder yeah and uh i think mainly what they're trying to do is be practical and say let's just eradicate bitcoin uh uh in in china except for just the periphery you know Mm. it's like um you know any other kind of vice that a government wants to uh restrict or 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 uh, get his people to stop using it uh you know you can't you can't eradicate it completely but you can push it to a point where it's no longer um poses any any competition to let's say the state um created uh crypto which is going to be their their uh, digital rmb right see there's part of me that goes you know what the less china's involved in crypto the better it is for crypto but then there's the other part of me that thinks, well, I mean, if this works for China, what's to stop other countries from taking the same approach? Like, it's almost like a beta test of, like, repression. And I guess I would say there's uh, there's lots of reasons to allow crypto and blockchain development to thrive in your country. And there's lots of reasons, if you're a bureaucrat in a, in a government, uh, to not want that. And so it it just becomes uh, like a just a, a battle of of which arguments are more persuasive in the end. Mm-hmm. And what you've seen in uh, almost every country on earth, uh, including the United States, is is this uh, kind of uh, ambiguous relationship with with crypto, where mm-hmm. you, you don't really know. Um, the U.S. government doesn't really know what to do with it. And, you know, there's many, many different ed- agencies in the United States and uh, who, who uh, think they have jurisdiction over crypto. Right. Uh, but, but Congress has not uh, deemed it so yet. Congress hasn't passed some sweeping 
policy framework that says this agency will have primary jurisdiction and uh, it will it will roll out uh, you know a list of uh, of regulations of, about crypto uh, and that's uh, that's probably going to happen you know in the United States in the next year or so uh, I think the crypto community has been been um, uh, like uh, distracted by a few things mm-hmm. like the fact that in this um, infrastructure bill that that uh, the Biden administration is trying to push uh, the um, uh, somebody came up with an idea that they could collect thirty billion dollars <laughs> uh, of uh, of incremental taxes based mm-hmm. on the fact that people are not reporting taxes as they should be. I think that is a pure fantasy. I think it's just a. I, I actually think even they think it's a fantasy because the number was made up. Right. Um, but I think they they wanted to be able to to have the CBO um, score the the bill as revenue neutral, and so they just threw in a number that no one could really uh, battle with. There was a thirty billion dollar hole, and voila! Like, hey, look, thirty billion dollars. Yeah, <laughs> and I've and I I've tried to educate some politicians about this that the uh, uh, crypto is dominated by a few people. Right. And those people we call whales and mm-hmm. whales are very rich. They have sophisticated uh, financial reporting and they use law firms and public accounting firms. And um, uh, they aren't out there trying to um, uh, uh, create tax fraud. Right. You know, that's that's that would make no sense. It, you know, because the, there's just um, there's too many records that exist. Right. So now that particularly doesn't mean with a blockchain, one-off. of course. <laughs> yeah, particularly blockchain. So that doesn't mean a one-off guy or two is gonna gonna uh, try to uh, uh, underreport taxes that are owed to whatever government they owe it to. But uh, but but I'm saying you know the broad majority of of the whales are are operating businesses that are complex with hundreds of people and those people <laughs> you know you can't carry on a scheme like that i i i at one point in my life was a uh, a public accountant you know as an mm-hmm. auditor and uh, you know the bigger the organization um the harder it is to carry out uh uh, fraud because you have to drag in more and more people. Someone's going to so, know, you know and someone's going to yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. And so what you're then looking at are the minnows. You're yes. looking at the very small people who represent the vast majority of of individuals. I mean, the vast majority of those in crypto are minnows. They're yeah. not whales. Yeah. But but their transactions are tiny. Yes. And most of them are going through exchanges and the exchanges uh, keep records. So I thought it was, it, it was, um, I, I thought it was um, not possible that there would be 30 billion of underreported taxes. That's a lot uh, of underreported and, taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think that will, uh, I think that was the primary reason why the, the federal government has now taken such a keen interest in crypto. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, of uh, 
working papers and working groups staffed by uh, members of government um, who are uh, evaluating how to approach crypto and its impact and its integration with the existing U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought the the infrastructure bill kind of dragged us into uh, a debate, the crypto people, with the government regarding reporting and the lack of understanding that came from the members of Congress around uh, how reporting could be conducted in a distributed decentralized system yeah. uh, became uh, sort of a moment where the crypto people had to educate Congress. I don't think Congress was really receptive to it. I don't think they cared no. uh, because in the end, I don't think the 30 billion was was a figure they even cared about. That was just made up so that they could make a claim, true or not. Um, but uh, I... I think we will now be seeing a sustained effort by by uh, the U.S. federal government to uh, uh, create some sort of framework, mm-hmm. and uh, more than likely, it will have a negative effect on innovation, like it has on all industries. And um, the goal of the regulation will, will, will have one purpose, to lock in those who are already there, because there will be a deal done between those who are already running crypto organizations and and those who are not. And the there will be the traditional regulatory capture that we always see. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> well-followed path. Mm-hmm. And uh, what will happen is innovation will just come to the pace that you see um, you know, the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, right? right. They, they're really great innovators, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, when, when you look at the pace of innovation uh, and, and the decentralized finance uh, oh, yeah. area, yeah. it's, you know, uh, especially last year when, when it was uh, uh, caught everyone's imagination. I mean, there were brand new business models every yes. two weeks. Yep. I mean, you know, a business model usually comes once every 10, 15 years, uh-huh. uh, but like every two weeks, <laughs> it was it was a fabulous time. And what it really was useful for was to highlight what can happen in an industry when um, the pace of innovation is limited by your imagination and how fi- how fast you can you can type. Right. When 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 that's the pace that you can follow, you get massive innovation. Sure. And um, uh, one of the things that will have to be done and it will be it'll be perhaps impossible because members of Congress, it's not that they're stupid. It's that they work on a different set of uh, of agendas. Sure. But trying to, for instance, explain to them that leverage as it is expressed in in the crypto world is completely different than leverage in the financial system that they ruined mm. that the politicians have ruined mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. leverage in in crypto is a closed system set of leverage those who are providing leverage are doing it by lending their equity capital in in a token form, mm-hmm. leverage as it exists in 
the uh, the abomination that's called like Wall Street is taking um, uh, deposits held in banks by by consumers that are guaranteed by the federal government and then taking those and injecting them into reckless speculative junk. It's the banks and, gambling with consumers' money, essentially. Uh, yeah, and ultimately done so because the federal government guarantees every loss that the bank incurs. Right, so there's no so, risk on their part. Right, and so you have basically a, a uh, it's the difference between a closed system, hermetically sealed closed system, that is crypto, all of crypto could disappear and there's no impact on any other financial systems right. versus this open system that's been abused by reckless uh, financiers backed by crooked politicians. And, and that system poses a risk to life as we know it. But I, mm. I sadly don't think that uh, – that distinction will ever be understood by by uh, uh, politicians. I just don't think they care, and and I feel this way because after after um, Dodd Frank, and for your listeners, that was a piece of abominable legislation to um, uh, as a response to the two thousand eight nine financial crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, all it did was lock in the perpetrators' uh, profits, but. But it was sold as a as a way to cure future financial problems. Mm -hmm. uh, that had an impact on me as a non Wall Streeter, but mm -hmm. I am a venture capitalist, and venture capitalists have these things we call bridge loans. And a bridge loan is when we take our equity capital and we loan it. We don't buy their their stock. We loan a company money, but it's our money. It's not right. backed by consumer deposits it's our money that we're sitting in a bank somewhere and we, we we loan it to them um to bridge them maybe to a new milestone where then they can raise money mm -hmm. selling equity at a higher price so these are loans but they're not loans of the nature of these wall street crooks and yet um we were looking at the possibility of losing our ability to write bridge loans, meaning mm -hmm. the ability to give money to companies that need it, but where it's very hard to price the equity. So we just give them a loan and we say at some point we'll convert that loan to equity when we know what the real value is. But right now it's hard to figure out. Mm -hmm. So this is a thing that's very helpful to keep companies afloat. And uh, uh, it was almost uh, restricted or eliminated because uh, uh, of the Dodd-Frank legislation that was being drafted said, uh, oh, you guys can't do that or you have to be banks to do it. I mean, think about the absurdity of that. The people who ruined our country mm -hmm. during the financial crisis were going to tell us that now they were going to ruin venture capital. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and it wasn't that the politicians didn't understand it. They mm -hmm. fully understood it, but they were mm -hmm. just corrupt. So they didn't yeah, care. Sure. Is it beyond and repair? That, like, you know, when I look at, you know, crypto, I see it as like this alternative universe that can fix these problems. But I don't know if it's repairable in the traditional market. Like, is Wall Street not. something that can be fixed? Or do we just no. have to say, no, this is, it's, it's toast? No, 
no, it can't be fixed because the uh, you 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 just need to look at the 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 structural underpinnings of Wall Street. The, it's, it's, yeah, and it's, how it's inherently it's, broken. Yeah, because you have a group of of politicians working with a group of banks that have um, just decided each of them will assist the other in whatever malfeasance they want to carry out. Mm -hmm. And they'll they'll lock that into this regulatory framework that can't be broken, which think about the absurdity of this. My my partners and I invented the stable coin called Tether because the banks would not work with us. Mm-hmm. We needed we needed to convert crypto into fiat. We needed to um, be able to sell uh, uh, our crypto. Let's say in times where we were just where we were looking for a safe harbor sure. because we thought there was too much volatility, so we needed to reduce our exposure to that volatility. And the only way to do it was this really complicated way of of, of uh, remember there were very few exchanges at that time that allowed fiat. Um, sure. For you to deposit cash, and you kind of had to go into a stablecoin, which didn't exist, of course. Right, and so you had all these things called alt exchanges, which right. were exchanges that had lots of cool tokens, but didn't have, didn't have fiat. So what we would do is we would sell our alt coins, which is any coin that's not uh, uh, Bitcoin, for Bitcoin. Take the Bitcoin, transfer it to one of the very few exchanges that allowed fiat. And then cashed out, and then had that wired to a bank because they couldn't keep the money; they were just mm-hmm. passed through uh, entities. And then we would go back and reverse it seven days later. Mm-hmm. And so it was really inefficient. Really and we tedious. thought if we could m- move into a token that was stable, um, and then move out as quickly as you could with any other token that had a lot of value. Well, the U.S. right now is uh, moving forward with legislation to. Um, make stable coins illegal unless they're issued by a bank right i mean the very people who <laughs> couldn't understand them the very people who who restricted our ability who required us to have stable coins because they wouldn't work with us those morons now would get the right to 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 have have a stable coin and normal developers and business people who are actually the ones building them and making them work would not. This is why I have very low regard for the possibility mm-hmm. of working within the confines of Wall Street as it exists today. Mm-hmm. Now, the nice thing, the positive thing, though, is that uh, crypto is global. And unlike, let's say, uh, venture capital in the 90s at the dawn of the Internet, venture capital was synonymous not just with the U.S. but with one zip code in the U.S. I mean, it was Sand Hill Road. It was, it was Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and um, so the, the whatever the U.S. decided to do from a regulatory standpoint of venture capital pretty much affected venture capital everywhere. That that's changed. Venture capital mm-hmm. is now global, but also crypto was never that way. Right. The U.S. was always just a player, but not a dominant player, mm-hmm. and so. That that I think bodes well, if we have uh, other countries that are more uh, receptive to what blockchain and crypto can do, then uh, we can we can move our development efforts to those countries. Right. And and that I think is uh, 
maybe even what keeps some of these countries a bit honest, with the exception of China, which has just said, you know, they, I think they would prefer uh, anything to do with a distributed decentralized system to just to just exist outside of their, you know, the great China firewall. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't want that. Mm -hmm. But the other countries will, I think, they will see the benefits of crypto. Um, and of course, all these big corporations that said crypto is evil now see, oh, there's lots of money in crypto. Yeah, exactly. And are, are now rushing in to try to do stuff. And remember, their handbook has traditionally been using um, the forces of government to restrict competition. That is how how capitalism is done in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, There's a great book so on that called The Myth of Capitalism. I don't know if you've ever read it. I have not. It's called The I Myth of Capitalism, and it delves into that particular topic. It's very interesting. It starts off with the example of the railroads and oil companies and how they basically were duopolies via government controls and then delves into like American healthcare and how it's corrupt. Yeah. And, and what's uh, unfortunate is because the masses, the American population who unfortunately have, have, have a limited understanding of, of economics because the educational system has failed them. Mm. Um, they look, for instance, let's say if you had, um, if the only medicine Americans had ever experienced was, was quacks pitching, uh, you know, um, snake oil, snake oil mm -hmm. as as like a cure. If that was their only experience, then it would be reasonable that they would conclude medicine and healthcare is um, is invalid, you know, mm. is is bad, and uh, is not a good place to kind of to focus on. Um, in the same way, with um, uh, with 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 capitalism when it's been uh perverted to the extent it's been in the united states uh people will look at a system and because uh you know like a good brand marketer a lot of corporations like to use this you know this term free market and capitalism which is which is is anything but that but they've used that word to such an extent that they have corrupted the word and so as a result, a lot of people think, quote, capitalism is bad. Right. When it's in it, when it's like, yeah, but you've never experienced it. Correct. <laughs> you know, I mean, the closest you could experience it is probably been crypto. Right. And yeah. um, it's crypto has done fabulous. As long as you stayed in it, um, mm -hmm. you have done tremendously well there. I mean, think about how many stocks there are in this world where if you stayed in the stocks, you probably lost your money um, uh, 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 for most of them. With crypto, if you bought a basket of crypto, mm -hmm. uh, for sure, um, or even just Bitcoin or Ethereum or one of the other uh, tokens, uh, and you have a five-year holding period, uh, you're going to have done well. You've done well, and, and yes. <laughs> what's amazing is with a group of, of, of volunteers and business people and just entrepreneurs uh creative people who've come together working working in tandem but not in an organized fashion mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. the system is such that uh the the cooperation uh can be done in um a very different form mm -hmm. because it's an open source movement you just contribute and if the community likes that that 
that uh, contribution, they adopt it into the piece of, of, of software that let's say is the Bitcoin blockchain. And if they don't, they don't. It's not perfect. Uh, good things sometimes don't get done and bad things sometimes happen, but that's because humans aren't perfect. But it's a, uh, it's a system that is it's, uh, self-regulated mm -hmm. and uh, it's worked remarkably well. And so um, it would have been it would have been amazing had uh, some enlightened people in the federal government looked at at what has happened in blockchain and said, you know, there's lessons we can we can take from this. They created a, a money substitute that, while not perfect, uh, solves a lot of problems that the the banking system globally for decades has been unable or unwilling uh, to to solve because it benefited them financially. See, and that's my and, concern, actually, is we often talk about, and I, I think of myself sometimes, is um, we'll say, well, the people who are actually making decisions about regulation in crypto are, don't fully understand it. My concern is that they do understand it well, and then yes. these people, they're corrupt. So you get the people who do understand it well. I can think of a few off the top of my head. I'm not going to say their names. Uh, who understand it well, and that's exactly why they're against it. And so I feel there's actually a greater concern in them understanding it well than in them not getting it and kind of staying in a gray area. Do you know what I'm getting at? I do. And let's uh, let's take a word like the word corrupt. You said the word corrupt, and that that is a good shorthand word. But if we kind of examine it, it's uh, what what you're really saying is uh, they are operating on a different set of incentives. Exactly. Uh, yeah. They are well paid and protected by a, a group uh, in an industry, let's say the financial services industry uh -huh. that makes a lot of money and uh, it, it has huge, huge barriers from the state level to the federal level, many, many different agencies that restrict, greatly restrict competition uh -huh. and, uh, and uh, pulverize any attempt to innovate mm -hmm. because of course if if people have no choice but to use your product and uh, and uh, government institutions effectively mandate the end of innovation mm -hmm. then you have to put no money into innovation Correct. which means there's a lot more for you to be for to be made and captured and and uh Obviously, if you and I had such a business, we would greatly reward those people who allowed that system to continue. Mm -hmm. And so what we have is this, this, this uh, it's a distorted uh, uh, like legal system, if you will, where it is legal because there are laws, but those passing the laws are passing them to favor one industry over another. By the way, mm -hmm. that happens in every country. It's not sure. It's not uh, restricted oh, just the United States. Trust me, there's it's, plenty of cronies here in Alberta where I live. Yeah, yeah, you just have a powerful <laughs> group and that powerful group, sometimes, um, sometimes the politicians, uh, they're not quote corrupt in that, you know, cynical um, seekers of, of, of money to do something they they genuinely believe the story you know <laughs> they believe that we need um 10 more aircraft carriers you know right. maybe they believe that okay. uh, because they they see that there's an aircraft carrier gap you know mm -hmm. we need to close the gap and so um now those people who are selling that that vision are benefiting and um it is Look at I don't know if I could have created a better system. 
anytime you take a tiny percent of the group and you deem them your representatives, and we're talking out of 300 million people, there's 535 of them. Mm -hmm. And you say at the federal level, you are the rule makers, 500 people. Right. And, and you say to them, uh, you go work with this 20 trillion, 20 trillion plus annual economy, and you figure out the best way to like steer it, you're going to get a lot of advice. Yeah. <laughs> and most of that <laughs> advice is going to be self-serving. Um, and uh, it was a golden era the last 10 years uh, that I've been in crypto where uh, we were, yes, we were uh, abused and um, uh, restricted in, in the fiat world in many ways and demonized and told we were aiding and abetting terrorism and money laundering and all kinds of other vices. And yet there was a strong, amazingly like a uh, vibrant community, which by the way, is what has brought me a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. There's been no group uh, I've ever been associated with, no industry group. And I'm pretty old <laughs> that, that is, um, is as uh, cooperative in their very nature and is uh, as uh, focused and driven for, for value creation as crypto people. Mm -hmm. And it's a, uh, I tell those who are maybe on the periphery or who haven't even really delved into it at all. I tell them, you know, um, uh, crypto is a lifestyle or it can be a lifestyle. It, mm -hmm. it really is. I mean, the first four years that I was involved in crypto, I was part of those nomadic movements, you know, mm -hmm. traveling around the world. Um, just with groups of people, we would have these conferences and it was kind of a funny thing. You know, it was the same people at every conference. Right. <laughs> uh, it was really just a, it was just a gathering. Sure. Every month or so you would just get together somewhere in the world and you would, you would exchange ideas. It was a, an amazingly um, wonderful era. Hmm. Maybe you could say um, we uh, the, w w like, when was the end of web one Oh to two Oh, when 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 is was the end of that first era of crypto I, I i might chalk it up to like when um coinbase went public you know mm -hmm. you know suddenly uh people were like wow you know there's tens legit. of billions of dollars right. yeah it's legit mm -hmm. and um and i i think we've weathered a lot mm -hmm. in the crypto community uh there was many many attempts to stamp it out as you probably uh have seen over the years it's it's truly comical how many obituaries have been written for bitcoin alone i think I they're mean, written by endless. people who are shorting the end of shorting the market uh, some uh, yeah <laughs> and then and then i think about uh how many uh how many times you know the 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 market crashes yep. uh and uh i i i i try to proselytize constantly mm -hmm. um about crypto because i think it is so um, important that people understand they can make a living w in crypto and do extraordinarily well if they're focused on it. And the thing that I have focused on most of my career has been building systems and platforms that allow everyday people an opportunity to be self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. When I was uh, a fellow at the Ewing Marion Coffin Foundation, uh, that was the mission of the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, you know, building self-sustaining communities. And and crypto enables that. It's unbelievable. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you we, we were talking earlier about about 
uh, NFTs and and you know think about how many how many artists now have an avenue that's not just selling an image to Getty Images or or uh, Shutterstock or some other uh, traditional platform that takes virtually all the value. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The incredible thing about a decentralized distributed system is that the amount of of uh, of tax, if you will, that that system extracts from the creative person who built something and uses the system to sell it is very small. Yes. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's if that is uh, sort of uh, the nature of all of those systems, but the ones I've seen have been that way. Mm-hmm. When when you have a um, a network operator who has central control and who has maybe even uh, quasi monopoly status because the network effect or whatever, uh, they seem to extract more value than what would be justified by the efforts they're giving you. Whereas in the decentralized distributed systems, uh, it's less and less. By the way, one one amazing example, you trade um, buy or sell uh, crypto on um, on Coinbase, and uh, especially if you're using a credit card, uh, uh, you are going to pay 200 250 basis points. That's a two and a half percent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, basis point is one one hundredth of a percent. So a hundred basis points is one percent. Uh, the decentralized trading systems uh, that people can use uh, charge you three basis points. So three mm-hmm. basis points versus two hundred plus basis points. Think of that. Mm-hmm. And 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 how are those doing in? January of last year, before DeFi took off, uh, the decentralized exchanges, we call DEXs, were doing maybe 500 million globally in volume a month. Mm-hmm. And now 150 billion in volume a month. Wow. And now, over what span of time was that growth? Well, from January of 2020 to October 2021 okay. so less That's than two years massive yeah yeah from 500 million to 150 billion wow so um and and why there's well you could pay three basis points or 200 basis points mm. <laughs> uh and and mm. that is uh that i think it's just the nature of the decentralized systems mm-hmm. um and uh you Plus know, competition, you like you said, it's it's unfettered competition. Yes, and 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 part of it as well that's amazing is remember a lot of these systems were um, they were they were uh, uh, built these DEXs built from open source software. Right. So somebody somebody um, built uh, an original decentralized exchange, and since it's on the blockchain, that that the code for that is exposed. You yep. can take it and you can either replicate it identically. And maybe if you did that, you, you'd have Litecoin instead of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. or you, um, you would take, uh, uh, maybe make one little change, but that one little change could be a big deal. Right. You now right. you, you, instead of, uh, instead of just allowing one trading pair, uh, Bitcoin to Ethereum, you allowed, you allow two mm-hmm. Bitcoin mm-hmm. to Ethereum and Bitcoin to Tether. Um, and, and now to do that in the traditional wall street world, 
you would have 25 agencies, state and federal, <laughs> examining you for two uh. years or 10 years. <laughs> and, you know, think about this. How long has it been that the idea of a Bitcoin ETF has been around for yep. 10 years? Yeah, I think and, it's coming. And, I think it's coming before the end of this year is my opinion. What do you think? I have no idea because I thought it was coming at the end of 2015, 16, <laughs> It's 17, just 18, a 19, hunch. 20. I could be wrong. This is not. Uh, I, and and my, my own. I don't have any inside it, information. The SEC was <laughs> waiting until there was a sufficient number of their clients. And that's mm -hmm. what they are. Mm -hmm. uh, banks, uh, financial institutions uh, who are important to them. Yeah. And, you know, there's a re revolving door between the SEC and these banks. Right. They go back and forth personnel. Sure and government. And so um, I think they were just waiting until those uh, uh, companies were prepared for it and could offer products themselves. They're well positioned, basically. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think about this a lot. I was, you know, early in the internet 1.0 era, uh, my partners and I started the first uh, consumer internet venture capital fund. And it was uh, pretty unfettered compared to uh, how it is today mm -hmm. if you had access to a, a browser and an internet connection and you were a programmer you could build whatever you wanted to build mm -hmm. and um we went from you know a few hundred websites in 1992 to maybe 50 million by the end of uh, 2000 mm -hmm. and now there's billions and and i think what would have happened had uh, a bunch of people in the music industry, uh, the uh, TV industry, travel, ad industry, um, had at retail, had they been able to go in a time machine and see how these early internet companies evolved and mm -hmm. utterly dominated their industries because the incumbents simply <laughs> ignored or thought uh, internet wasn't that important right um what they would have done is they would have gone back in 95 after uh the uh, netscape navigator browser became mainstream and they would have said hey we need to regulate these things i mean we regulate uh we regulate telephone networks we regulate uh television stations we we um we regulate radio broadcasters well this is just another form of broadcasting and, you know, it's fine for people to do it. They just need to get licensed. And today we would we would have 250 websites yeah. globally. That's yeah, all controlled by a few corporations. Basically. The same all controlled by Walmart mm -hmm. and, you know, Goldman Sachs and uh, all the other big incumbents that were already in the industries. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You know, it, it, you're right. It would have had they known what we know now, they would have done everything they could to shut down competition, essentially. And the reason I mention that is because that playbook, you know, that 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 case study existed for the financial institutions when Bitcoin uh, was created. Hmm. And initially, of course, it was a sideshow and it was irrelevant. But by 20. 14, 15, they began to realize this thing's not going away, despite the fact that we've tried to pulverize it by saying it's used for by terrorists and money launderers mm -hmm. and tax evaders. It just keeps going. And so um, they were highly effective at, 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 at uh, influencing governments 
and putting a lot of restrictions on uh, using crypto. And the most effective thing they did was to deny bank accounts right. to blockchain companies. And, you know, you, you could say, well, what do you need bank accounts for if you're a blockchain business? Well, the power company still wants to be paid in dollars. Employees still need probably, you know, regular fiat currency to buy food and buy their cars, for pay now, for right? bills, <laughs> at least for now. Yeah. And so we did have to have bank accounts. And um, uh, it was it was unbelievable for a guy like me, who's, you know, run venture capital firms for years. I was CFO of, of a licensing division. Um, uh, I, I like I have a lot of financial expertise and credibility. And it was it was unbelievably difficult mm. to get people to get a bank. They know I'm not a terrorist, but they're like, yeah, but you know, we, we don't, we don't have any guidelines on this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the way the U S was prior to this embracement of regulation as a weapon, uh, let's say in the, even up through the eighties and most of the nineties, um, if there wasn't a law prohibiting or restricting something, you just did it and no one had a problem with it. And more and more, we've become a nation where uh, we look for laws that allow behavior. Mm. And that's very China-like. What do you say to question. the argument that, you know what, regulation is good? Like, if you have regulation in crypto, it does bring it more legitimacy. Like, if you can get pension funds in on it, if you can have these larger bodies, you know, conducting business with crypto in a regulated setting, that might enable it to grow. You know, and if uh, America, you know, or Europe or Canada um, puts regulation in place, you know, for KYC and those sorts of things and controls that element, then it enables it to flourish in a sense because, you know, it allows people to feel that they can use it more safely. What do you think of that argument? I wouldn't even know how to address it without, like, uh, reframing it because mm -hmm. um, I would say to you, what do you think about the argument that water is good? <laughs> well, water, water is good. Can Unless be. you have a chain wrapped around you and you're in the middle of the ocean and you're drowning. Right. Unless there's a flood and your house is ruined. What would you say of the argument? Well, William, drugs are good. They take away pain. They cure disease. Yeah. They also create millions of addicts. So in other words, to say regulation is good it's too broad. It's sort of a silly phrase, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. I, I believe it is good to, to suppress violent crime, right? So if somebody <laughs> is using something like drugs uh, and carrying out violent crime to protect their, their cartel, you know, then, then, you know, that's a bad thing. Uh, regulation against that is probably good. But uh, we would have to say, what is it you want to do and why do you want to do it? Somebody may say, it's good to know um, who is transferring uh, value from one account to another. I'd say, well, it might be good if you're worried that the people transferring it are terrorists. I would say, if it's me paying you for lunch, it's no one's business. Right. And so that is basically the debate, right? It's like, 
what level of restrictions on our privacy and just our lifestyle are we supposed to accept in order to stamp out some some like alleged bad behavior that someone else is doing Mm -hmm. and uh it's 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 clearly a balance but it's it's so it's been so perverted Mm. by regulatory capture that it 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 just I, i i go to let's look at what's actually happening let's call DeFi quote unregulated meaning there is no central controlling authority that deems what can be done or not done and restricted if they don't like it. There is no such authority other than human beings. You know, there's lots of DeFi projects that are stillborn. Mm -hmm. No one uses them. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, the the group policed it and said, we don't think this is good or we think your code is um, unsafe to use because Mm -hmm. somebody could hack it and uh, steal all the money it's supposed to be holding so then by the same argument then deregulation is neither good nor bad i totally agree i totally agree yeah i mean i mean because does you i wouldn't know what that would mean right like you know which things are you deregulating and which things are you regulating right yeah and it comes you know let's face it it's like a these arguments for the, the the that that take place um I would say it's probably never been the case that like certain private interests aren't front and center in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, KYC to your audience, that means know your customer. Uh, that's a banking term, know your customer. So the reason you, um, you know, can use your, your, your ATM card at Wells Fargo when you're a Bank of America customer is because Wells Fargo relies on the fact that Bank of America knows who you are mm-hmm. and knows you're not a, a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, uh, that, uh, that ability is known as the travel rule, by the way. You can, you can take your credentials with you from one bank to another and they'll honor your check, even if it's written on another bank. Credit card, same way. Uh, that, that became a big challenge for us during this uh this uh, infrastructure bill debate right, right. because uh the certain group members of congress wanted uh no blockchain transactions to be allowed unless uh, a, a a construct of this travel rule existed where which of course everyone, is ridiculous because you couldn't possibly know because you couldn't know because because of its permissionless nature right. and the permissionlessness nature of blockchain is sort of one of those things that doesn't get expressed a lot mm-hmm. because it's a little abstract but mm-hmm. but literally no one has to know who you are or what you are you can open up a bitcoin bank account by just uh, having an account on the blockchain mm-hmm. you didn't have to ask anybody mm-hmm. and that is um that's scary to some people now they can make a boogeyman out of it and say well <laughs> what won't terrorists be doing something you know i often fall back on it's not a good argument but I say it because I'm annoyed. Uh, well, like, what about the billions and billions of dollars of money laundering that take place in traditional banks? It's, it's you cash. Guys, cash is the king of crime, honestly. Yeah, you guys don't seem to. I mean, you 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 find it, whatever, but but it, it exists and it doesn't seem to be the end of the world. And yeah. so, of course, there's probably some form of money laundering using anything, diamonds, sure. uh, wine bottles, or or cash or crypto. It, it um but but well, like, arguably it's immensely easier to launder via cash us dollars yeah than pretty now, much anything else 
Yeah. And my concern with crypto is that, uh, you know, over 10 years, I've done a lot of thinking. I've built blockchains, I've built smart contracts. I've, I've launched a lot of uh, applications and, um, and services. And so I've thought extensively about uh, the vulnerabilities of blockchain. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it, it is, I would say, much more vulnerable uh, to restriction than the majority of the people in the blockchain world, I think, really appreciate. Um, we, we, we have, there is a, uh, an element of resiliency in blockchain that is far, far uh, better than certain centralized um, digital systems. Mm-hmm. But that's only one layer to it. At the layer above it, which is, well, but what about the systems that it operates in, traditional servers, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. server farms, uh, banks that allow um, crypto to be converted? Those, those things can easily um, uh, harm mm-hmm. harm blockchain development if 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 they they turned against it right and and so I uh, I think people are can be a little naive in thinking like oh we're distributing decentralized and therefore we're immune to any kind of pressure from a regulatory body or you know government I see it as uh, I see it, the system's much more fragile. I mean, you know, we all operate on uh, internet, right? Yep. You, in order to access the uh, the blockchain, you do need a browser. You need a, you know, you need a, a, a data plan and internet connection. Or a mesh uh, network. Internet, How about that? <laughs> yeah, but it's mesh. <laughs> Pretty but, few but, and far between, though. But also, but it, but it, but but there is a there's a point at which it has to touch the internet. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can do all the meshing, but it still has to touch it. And mm-hmm. so if, uh, and those, every internet service provider that I know about in all the countries that uh, are, are relevant, they, they uh, regulate internet service providers. Yes. So, you know, there's a reason why, you know, internet service providers don't allow, you know, Al Qaeda to, you know, operate uh, broadcasting stations uh, through their, through their pipe. It mm-hmm. may happen, but it's only because they're doing it through some sneaky way right. uh, but but you know you could imagine if all internet service providers were told you cannot carry uh, any blockchain traffic um, which is now we're doing things to uh, uh, to remove that vulnerability mm-hmm. um, the blockchain world is but at the end of the day we're all humans we're living in societies and any activity we do can be restricted if the majority decide to suppress it Right, and so I I think we have only one avenue to go, which is to um, to directly address this with the people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and tell the people this is a good thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, don't let them scare you away. You know, there was a time, probably up until twenty seventeen or eighteen, where I rarely saw an article about Bitcoin in the mainstream media, where money laundering tax evasion and terrorism were not wrapped somewhere in that article right it was unbelievable it's true yeah yeah and 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 now you finally gotten to a point where that is not happening Mm -hmm. and so um uh and i think you know things like nfts uh elevate blockchain in a very important way because 
not even nine months ago, I had people, smart people, venture capitalists, business people saying something that they had said for 10 years to me, which mm. was um, blockchain has no use case. I mean, come on, how many times have you heard uh, that? Right. Has no use case. And I mean, I was always just shaking my head. Like, are you kidding? Now, it is fair to say that blockchain is the worst possible way to do almost anything. That is true. <laughs> However, but for a few there are things. a very small number of things for which blockchain is not only the best solution, but it is so overwhelmingly superior yeah. that it has no competition. And those are the things that we have been building blockchain for. And mm -hmm. every year or so, I identify one new thing. So you give, know, me, give maybe me your top three things, you know, for listeners. What are, what are the top three things blockchain does better than anything else? You know, I usually never answer the question. There's actually five. Okay. Um, five remarkable things blockchain does. And uh, the reason I never answer it is because what I say to people is I have a slide deck. I mean, I, I, I have... Uh, it all written out as soon as i say it instantly everybody goes of course of course of course mm -hmm. but here's why i don't say it because you're going to forget it tomorrow go <laughs> just think about it it's right in front of you there are five uh, i'm i'm now thinking there's now six i started <laughs> with one by the way okay. and we're not talking about small things we are talking about blockchain where its use is is so superior and it's in in a in an area not of a few billion but of multi trillions of dollars of value mm -hmm. this and it's right in front of people and um i've there's been a few people who i've said all right let me give you five just because they've been important enough to me where i want them to get it and then they're like holy shit like you're right and mm -hmm. it's like yeah but it was right in front of you mm -hmm. so um now, of course, everybody can say NFTs, right? They can sure. say media and content, uh, you know, stored in a fashion that can be traded instantly at no cost. Yet everybody knows, even though it's in digital form, that it is 100% genuine. Mm -hmm. There is no other way to, to accomplish that on planet Earth. There is mm -hmm. no way you can send somebody something instantly or near instantly at virtually no cost for them to uh, know it to be genuine um, with no effort. Think mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's just, I, I, by the way, I've, I've, I've pondered this a long time. Now you, you, and I'm saying doing it without any direct central authority, like you can kind of, let's say you order, I don't know, uh, a hairdryer from Amazon. Um, you probably can have some confidence that it's not counterfeit. And if it is counterfeit and it breaks, they'll return it. That's fine. But that's Amazon. And do you think Amazon's doing that for free? <laughs> no. Amazon is taking a tax from the supplier and from you, the customer. I mean, right? So here is a system that exists outside of any central control. And yet, you know, instantly that the item you're receiving is 100% genuine at no cost. 
that's such a remarkable thing. Mm. You know, I would hear people for many years, they'd say to me, why do I need Bitcoin? I have gold. And of course I say, all right. So I would carry this little piece of metal <laughs> and I would say, is this gold? Well, I don't know. Well, feel it. You can't tell. Is it gold or is it not gold? Well, trust me, it's worth $10,000. Well, I don't know, but, but that's okay. I could go test it to which I would always say right now, tell me who's your favorite neighborhood gold assay testing firm. Like you must have 10 of them, right? You use yeah, them yeah. all the time. <laughs> and by the way, why would you think that guy's trustworthy? If I had more time, I would tell you why they're not. I haven't. The Royal Canadian Mint say. had a couple times where they issued gold that turned out to be tungsten. The Royal Canadian Mint. Yes, yes. and there you would say, "Well, come on, right?" You should be able to but, trust them. But, you think, right? And but not only could is it not? Can you not instantly identify it? You would have to spend money to identify yes. it, right? Yeah. And even once after you did that, um, you would truly never really know and maybe if you got 20 different assay offices so what does bitcoin do it has thousands and thousands of assay offices it has mm -hmm. thousands of people who are confirming that this transaction is valid it's doing it now you can argue well it went up to 20 dollars or whatever i'm saying you know if i'm sending you a million dollars of something gold diamonds uh, wine, art, or Bitcoin, which would you more quickly with certainty be able to say that's worth a million? Of course it's Bitcoin. Yeah. And that I was always struck by how so many people um, at conferences when I would speak around the country, around the world, would, would sort of shrug their shoulders at that. I'm like, that's a remarkable capability. Mm -hmm. And, no, it's the same and, thing when I see, I'm going to interrupt you here with a story that I was reading the other day on uh, Kotaku, where they were criticizing NFTs because they could be passed off as fakes, right? Someone would create a fake NFT that wasn't their own creation and sell it. And they were saying that that's like a huge problem with NFTs, that it, it lends them to being a scam. But they're clearly not understanding that anyone could look and check that whether or not that was the real NFT. And it's an interesting yes. reversal but, of a truth. Right. So you're, you're right. And, and um, at WAX, the uh, NFT blockchain I built, um, I recognize that problem uh -huh. where let's say, uh, you know, uh, some brand, you know, uh, the Topps trading card company or okay. Atari, sure. uh, uh, Tops has a has a baseball card. We sell those on our on wax, mm -hmm. uh, a digital card, and uh, you buy one and you feel good. And then you buy another one, and it turns out somebody says it's fake. How could that exist? Well, it, it's it's understandable why people would be a little confused because when we say it can't be replicated. It can't be replicated from that address from where it came. Mm -hmm. So the tops blockchain address on Wax, anything that comes out of there is by definition um, genuine because they made it. Because mm -hmm. unless they got hacked, um, anything being created from there is 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 um, is a tops trading card. Somebody could open up a new account on wax it's permissionless uh 
and take an image of that tops trading card and put it in an nft and send it now it would be sort of the equivalent of you're getting a package and it's not from amazon it's from some other company called amazon but they're out of like duluth not uh, <laughs> you know washington mm -hmm. and you you might or may not see that or miss it but it is a it is a uh it is a risk if you're not looking at who the sender is now mm -hmm. what we do at wax in the wax cloud wallet we take the uh, you know the blue check mark verified that twitter uses yep so we have a green check mark verified which says the nft uh, let's say it's a top trading card is coming from the address that tops owns mm -hmm. so since or the smart contract so that um if you see that little green check you know it's genuine that's the way we dealt with that mm -hmm. um now of course you've added so a layer of trust there but it seems like that a reasonable we, we, layer of trust yes add. and and so it is it is a trust layer but this is the way and and there's no way you can do anything uh, really expansive, fully trustless, at least not right. today, there, right? No. I'm just um, saying there I is an element of centralized trust there. Absolutely. But yeah. but it's a visible layer, mm -hmm. meaning everybody can see that there is a green trust mark that's associated with that particular account. Now, let's say we decided to put a green trust mark in another account that wasn't tops it was the fake tops mm -hmm. well the community would see that yes and say wait a minute that's a scam and that's because it's transparent right and exactly. transparency mm -hmm. is another element in blockchains distributed decentralized systems that makes them reliable so much of what big corporations do is not transparent mm -hmm. and and you know and and it is a turning on its head of everything i learned when i was an auditor you know, when you think about it, if you ask JP Morgan, hey, I'd like to see every wire <laughs> you're sending, where they're going, mm -hmm. and I'd like to see the ones coming in and from where they came, and then we'll just look at it. Would that be okay? They would tell you, <laughs> oh, that's a huge breach of security, and, and we could never do that. But what that means is when there's wire fraud going on, only the little 10 or 15 people at JP Morgan in that wire department see it. Right. And they respond to it, but maybe they respond slowly. Mm -hmm. The thing about blockchain is everybody is watching every transaction. There's so many people looking at it that when they see a vulnerability in a code or they see a smart contract uh, sending out a lot of crypto when it was supposed to be uh, custing it, the alarm bells go off. And I think the repairs happen much faster in a yes. transparent system. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like I think of it like, um, there's a, um, a referee at a football game who flips a coin to see who goes first. Mm -hmm. And the referee could do that, um, maybe even with three other referees in a closed room and come out and say, this is what happened. What does the referee do? The referee flips that coin in front of the players and in front of the stadium. Yeah. And so everybody's eyes look on it. Now, the referees could have said, oh, it's very insecure if we do that in front of all you guys. <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. Uh, uh, right. And that sounds absurd. How did it make it insecure by us seeing it? 
It's the same way with wires. Yeah. It's like we may, we may, I, in fact, I am positive. If we were all seeing all those wires going out of a JP Morgan bank, somebody would say, you know, I know that bank account that it's coming from, and that's owned by terrorists. Right. I mean, it's, it's like transparency is actually a wonderful thing and characteristic of blockchain. If we see transparency start to be shielded and it's for quote safety provided by regulation, you'll know we're going down a dark path. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. Wow. Hey, can I ask you just what are your, uh, just to kind of wrap things up here, uh, what's on the horizon for you in the next little while here? Just, you know, maybe particularly in regards to NFTs. So we, uh, as uh, some of the audience may know, uh, we, uh, Wax, uh, was the very first blockchain uh, purpose-built for NFTs. That was mm -hmm. 20, 2017. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in fact, I hear your, is that you or me? That's got to be you. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm going to uh, hang up on Uh, sorry about that. No worries. Um, I, uh, I, I first time I've ever heard the phone. <laughs> so you can, I assume you can, uh, I'll assume you can, uh, yeah, edit this out. So wax, uh, was the first blockchain purpose built for NFTs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we, uh, um, launched that in 2017. The, uh, at the time, um, my partner and I, for many, many years, uh, almost 20 years prior, we were running um, video game virtual item marketplaces. So lots of people understand that there's uh, video games now. The primary way they monetize is by selling you a virtual item. Sure. Uh, roughly $200 billion annually um, is what the global video game businesses generate um, in, in revenues. And the majority of that is selling virtual items. And we operated the largest marketplace for uh, for those virtual items called Opskins. And for various reasons, we thought it was time to put them on a blockchain. Mm -hmm. uh, whole bunch of reasons too uh, detailed to go into here, but uh, that's the reason we, we did WAX. Now we knew that it would take uh, it would take some innovations in the consensus mechanism, the the process by which the transaction gets validated, because with something like video games, we knew there would be hundreds of millions of people, not mm -hmm. thousands. And uh, blockchain at that time was uh, was nascent, right? And even today, you know, Ethereum and 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 Bitcoin are very very slow, dozens mm -hmm. of transactions, you know, per second, very slow. So we. Uh, uh, we built it to be a consumer mass market platform and we have been at it like a lot of people in 2018 and 19 and video gamers we were supporting a lot of video gamers um uh building on the wax platform we yet it was nascent and it was not until january of this year january 2021 when uh for reasons i don't know but but suddenly the world became awakened to uh to to nfts and they've really just remarkably like grown in just an understanding of everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, from kids, you know, to, to adults, to people in the industry, they all want to talk about NFTs. And, and today, WAX is, um, uh, uh, 
the number one blockchain, it, it, it changes, you know, periodically, mm -hmm. but, uh, but generally wax has more transactions than any other blockchain in the world, mm -hmm. Bitcoin, Ethereum, any other blockchain in the world. Of course, it's easy to see. Uh, uh, but I, 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 and I haven't looked in the last couple of weeks. Right. I've been it's busy, not like but that $30 maybe, billion dollar figure you came up with earlier. That was just made up. You yeah. Actually, you can yeah, actually you can literally <laughs> you can literally look at it. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's probably around 20 million, 20 million transactions every 24 hours. We also have high? the number wow. one. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, I, I, I haven't looked at, at Bitcoin or Ethereum, like I said, in, in a couple of weeks, but you know, there are 600,000 to yeah, yeah, yeah. a million, one million, two transactions every 24 hours. So, but it's because of the wax cloud wallet mm -hmm. and the wax cloud wallet is the number one NFT wallet by far in the world. We probably have close to 7 million NFT collectors in the wax cloud wallet. Mm -hmm. And why are all those people using the wax cloud wallet and using the wax blockchain? Because it's uh, really fast, it's mm -hmm. free to transact and people uh, can build games on wax very easily because we have a whole suite of developer tools. Mm -hmm. What we're doing over the next uh, six months is we are uh, now going mainstream with something we actually built in 2017, um, uh, which was something called a viral NFT. Mm. And viral stands for, it's V-I-R-L. That's uh, the V is for virtual and IRL is a text language for in real life. Mm -hmm. So it's viral and NFT. And in a, viral, a viral NFT is an NFT that's linked to a real world consumer product. Mm, and okay. uh, not only did I, uh, I build this out uh, and I, cause I figured eventually every consumer product on earth or most of them call it the next 10 years, we'll have digital twins. Right. And that'll be a, a lot of that for the metaverse. And um, so not only did we conceive of it and then build it out, we patented it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was thinking of this stuff because I knew eventually we're gonna have patent wars. Mm -hmm. uh, the crypto space has been very, uh, I think, uh, uh, oblivious to the fact that China, for instance, the largest writer of patents for blockchain, Big corporations that claim they hate crypto have been <laughs> have been patenting snapping for up years. patents left and right. Yeah. And so what we tell <laughs> brands, because we have more consumer product brands on wax and any other blockchain, we tell them you won't have to worry about uh, cease and desist and patent infringement claims, which are going to come because we have a war chest of patents protecting us. But on the hmm. business side of it, it's going to be remarkable. And and by the way, every every viral NFT we are selling now um uh every drop sells out hmm. and, and, and it's an amazing thing you you buy this digital twin of the real item and you can trade it mm -hmm. as you wish the owner of it the owner of that that uh that drop of physical products they get a piece of the ongoing secondary market transactions and uh when you're ready to redeem you just hit redeem and um you know it's mailed to whatever address you give them Cool. So viral so that's all built in is, now, as opposed to being something yes. where you have to personally negotiate with the individuals. That's right. We have uh, um, we have uh, uh, built it. Uh, there's a company called Funco that does uh, collectible figurines. Okay. Uh, they have been launching these things now for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, I think they did an Iron Maiden NFT launch, a viral mm -hmm. NFT launch a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago. You know, sold out. I, uh, uh, people really like the idea. It's it's eBay, 
but you are trading like a digital certificate. Uh Uh, And for a lot of people, they uh, buy things and they're not the intended end user. They're buying them with the idea that they're going to resell them. And Uh that, that, that is a massive part of the market on eBay and other things like Uh StockX and, and other uh, 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 physical merchandise trading platforms. Uh So we just thought, well, there was a time that, you know, under the buttonwood tree on Wall Street, uh, the, the traders hundreds of years ago were exchanging pieces of paper. Uh, um, and now uh, it's done electronically. Well, the same should be done with consumer products and sneakers and whatever else. Mm-hmm. So that's the, a big focus for us. Uh, we're building that out um, and making it very easy for more and more brands to, uh, to do it. And um, uh, a viral marketplace dedicated strictly for those types of NFTs will be launching soon. That's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for spending this time with me. It's amazing to hear you. I mean, you've been a visionary in this space. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this. You're welcome. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.